the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing, engineering, and Clark Hilton is also engineering, all of us from remote locations as we are sheltering in place and maintaining social distancing. Well, I have to admit, James, I miss seeing your face, but this is our new normal and we're happy to continue to do what we do here for the sake of the listeners and uh, for the safety of all concerned. So, welcome. Yeah, it's good to be doing this again. Three days now of uh, remote broadcasts, and uh, we don't seem any worse for the wear for it. Yeah, not so far, but there's still time. (laughs) It's just the start of the the show. The show is just starting. (laughs) Well, today on the program, we're going to talk with Tim Betcher. He, along with his wife, Bobby, serve in Fort Benning, Georgia, at the, with the military community through Cadence International. We're going to talk about the work that he does ministering to those in the military. And it really is a thrilling ministry that I was unaware of. So we'll talk with Tim Betcher about that. And in the five o'clock hour, we'll talk with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. We're going to talk about um, opportunities that we have to encourage one another, to share the good news with people who uh, are at some distance around us and maybe in despair or great fear. So we'll talk with the Pastor Scott about that in the second hour of today's program. Well, in the news, the Senate unanimously passed the stimulus package, although that's not the right way to uh, describe it, and that's um, how it's being characterized, but it really isn't designed to stimulate the economy. It's designed as sort of a survival um, package in order that people who cannot pay their rent or their income has dried up will be able to move forward. It appears Democrats negotiated to receive, of all things, during this uh, pandemic credit. Most of what uh, Nancy Pelosi wanted in that legislation is gone, but she did indicate in the next one, should there be a next one, she'll make another go at it. Uh, Guy Benson says 96 to 0 final, unanimous. If you're uh, fuming, maybe you're the one who's really, really out of touch. Even the senators you like voted yes, along with all of their colleagues, imperfect, but needed. Jay Cost also makes the point that it was a unanimous vote, 96 to zero. It means it's a fait accompli in the House. Nancy has uh, no leverage, so what will come out of the House will very likely be exactly what came through the Senate. Meanwhile, the World Health Organization is being accused of mishandling this crisis in the early stages. As I mentioned earlier, the uh, World Health Organization's leader is pretty cozy with China, and some are pointing to that as the explanation. This crisis has revealed how China has suborned and corrupted the World Health Organization, they argue, which, for political reasons, ignored credible warnings about the new coronavirus from doctors in Taiwan and instead credulously repeated statistics from authorities in Beijing, the ones downplaying the extent of the crisis. The World Health Organization delayed calling the virus a health emergency and then criticized U.S. travel restrictions placed on China without reference to public health reasoning, only to vague ideology. While the WHO was trying to save China, 
its embarrassment. And still, China wouldn't cooperate transparently with the World Health Organization. Nikki Haley, writing for National Review, points out, let's be clear, the WHO delayed calling the virus a health emergency and then criticized U.S. travel restrictions placed on China. The WHO was trying to save China, its embarrassment, and still, China wouldn't cooperate transparently with the World Health Organization. Well, the Democrats are seeking to investigate how the president is handling the pandemic. Apparently, they have lots of time on their hands and can pull it off while social distancing. And all 94 people on one senior home have contracted the coronavirus. If you're thinking about things to pray for, there's plenty to pray about. This one senior center, 94 people uh, are uh, have contracted the virus. It's out of New Jersey. 20 have tested positive, while the others are believed to have the virus as well. Meanwhile, a look at the disaster facing hospitals in Spain and Italy gives us at least some perspective on how much better we're doing here. Again, things to pray for. A New York ER doctor has described his daily routine, suggesting that it is very difficult, and we'll talk more about that later in the program. New York hospitals are struggling before the virus hit uh, town due to mismanagement, and now, of course, that has been exaggerated. And Britt Hume, uh, Hume points out that from a Dr. Burks in White House coronavirus briefing, that the number of new cases in hard-hit New York City has been level for the past three days. This suggests that the efforts to flatten the curve are having an effect, imperative to continue them, she says. So that's good news. And there's a Harvard summit, and it's discussing regulating homeschooling. To take place in June, the uh, summit is being organized by Dwyer and Professor Elizabeth Barnholet, uh, the Bart Holitz uh, recent article in the Arizona Law Review says that homeschooling, parents' rights, absolutism versus child's rights to education and protection. She recommends a presumptive ban on homeschooling with the burden on parents to demonstrate justification for permission to homeschool. A heads up. Again, that conference is scheduled for June. Whether or not they will be able to meet remains uh, to be seen. And pro-life leaders are urging health officials to stop promoting abortion during the pandemic when hospital beds and equipment are at a premium. And the former vice president says we've had enough debates like a fighter suggesting no more punches. Rich Lowry points out that Biden is winning the Democratic nomination on the basis of not being Bernie Sanders and wants to get elected president on the basis of not being Donald Trump. He is um, purely a negative candidate, as we've seen in a very long time, running largely on who he isn't and what he won't do. Oh, and Biden is making up his own history again. This time he claims he was a professor after leaving the Senate. Does he think people won't easily look these things up? Well, maybe it was just a Freudian slip. Well, a zoo is asking people to write letters to the animals, even the adults. And that's where things get a little bit weird. But if you're looking for something to do, you might want to write to the animals. Well, well, the president uh, today said the administration is working on uh, working to publish new guidelines that will advise governors and states across the nation on potential changes to social distancing based on whether certain county, counties rather are low, medium or high risk for the novel, the novel uh, coronavirus. In the letter from the president to America's governors, the president thanked state leaders for stepping up to help America confront this unprecedented global pandemic. Together, we are proving that no challenge can match the indomitable strength ingenuity and determination of the American people. There is still a long battle ahead, but our efforts are already paying dividends, he continued, noting that the day will soon arrive when Americans can resume their normal economic, social, and religious lives. The president said the administration is working to publish new guidelines for the state and local policymakers 
to um, use in making their decisions about maintaining, increasing, or relaxing social distancing and other mitigation measures they have put in place. And as you know, the original plan that the president brought forward will expire in just a few days. So we can look forward to seeing what he recommends moving forward. And it will be a recommendation if states want to continue what they have already set up, they're encouraged to do just that. Well, as I mentioned, by a vote of 96 to 0, the Senate passed a massive $2 trillion stimulus compromise package just before midnight last night, ending days of deadlock and sending the bill to the House. Nancy Pelosi says she will soon take up the historic measure we're now hearing on Friday to bring relief to individuals, to small businesses and larger corporations with strong bipartisan support. Well, the legislation is the largest economic relief bill in U.S. history. The Senate Majority Leader appeared somber and exhausted as he announced the vote. He released senators from Washington until the 20th of April, though he promised to recall them if needed. 96 to 0 in the United States Senate, President Trump wrote on Twitter, congratulations, America. Well, the unanimous vote came despite misgivings on both sides about whether it goes far enough or too far. The vote capped days of difficult negotiations as Washington confronted a national challenge unlike any it has ever faced before. Unemployment numbers were set to be revealed this morning. I'll tell you those later. And experts warned that they could reach alarming highs. Well, this would provide uh, this measure would provide one time direct payments to Americans of twelve hundred dollars per adult, making up uh, to seventy five thousand dollars a year and twenty four hundred to married couples, making up to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year with five hundred dollar payments per child. After a seventy five thousand dollar threshold for individuals, the benefit would be reduced by five dollars for each one hundred dollar the taxpayer makes. A similar $150,000 threshold applies to couples and a $112,500 threshold for heads of households. The legislation passed by the Senate it uh, will use 2019 tax returns, if available, or 2018 tax returns to assess income for determining how much direct financial aid individuals will receive. This would uh, Those who did not file tax returns, uh, can use the form SSA 1099, Social Security Benefit Statements, or form RRB 1099, a Social Security Equivalent Benefit Statement, uh, per the legislation. Well, the American Red Cross is calling on the public to continue contributions of critical blood. We'll tell you more about that when we return, but apparently this is a serious issue, not just for the coronavirus. It certainly is during the outbreak, but for those who are suffering other kinds of illnesses or accidents that need blood. So we'll talk more about that. Also coming up later this hour, we'll talk with Tim Betcher. He is with um, uh, Cadence International, a ministry to the military. We'll give you all the important details of what he's doing. And then Pastor Scott Gilchrist will join us in the five o'clock hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments. And by the way, portions of today's program are brought to you by Liberty Coin and Currency. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, the American Red Cross is calling on the public to continue contributions of critical blood donations. Multiple donor service staff members have raised concerns about the lack of personal protection equipment, however, to protect themselves and donors from exposure to the coronavirus. It's always lurking somewhere in the back. Well, the staff on the front lines who are collecting America's crucial blood supply are provided gloves, red scrubs, hand sanitizer, and disinfectant to keep themselves and the donation site sanitized, but there are no masks. 
We'll talk more about efforts to uh, remedy that as well. At a Red Cross Center in the Northeast, the chairs were uh, where donors' weights uh, are spaced at least six feet apart, as well as the beds that donors use while providing their blood. Staff members, volunteers, and donors have their temperatures uh, taken, uh, usually outside of the donation site, and anyone with a temperature over 99.5 degrees is turned away. One worried Red Cross staff member who spoke Uh, to the media on condition of anonymity, said she loves her job, but because staff and donors cannot possibly stand six feet apart during the blood collection, she fears that she and her colleagues will be exposed. That's what's so scary about this virus, the staffer said, for more protective gear tests in a complete, uh, they say it's a complete mess. Frontline healthcare uh, providers around the country are sounding the alarm bells about the rationing of protective gear and a lack of uh, rapid response COVID-19 testing, and some are even doing so from uh, quarantine. Distressed doctors and other healthcare professionals, they've been sidelined from the pandemic response because they have suspected uh, cases of the uh, virus. They're home with quarantined spouses and kids, but in a sign of how disjointed the coronavirus response has been, some doctors have no idea if they're actually infected. It's pretty frustrating, they say, that we have celebrities and basketball players getting tested the same uh, the same day. One doctor from Tampa in the emergency room uh, said uh, he's been quarantined for a week before learning he was negative. But if you're a doctor or nurse, you can't get tested immediately. You're waiting six or seven days to find out your results. Well, full NBA teams have already been tested for the coronavirus. The Brooklyn Nets paid a private company to get the tests and learned four players were positive. Politicians are getting tested and finding swift results. Senator Mitt Romney of Utah was tested, got his negative result back the next day. Vice President Mike Pence and his wife were tested and seemingly received their negative results within hours. So this is frustrating to doctors who are in distress, who are on the front lines, who are most likely exposed by virtue of the work that they're doing. Also, it's a choice that most doctors never thought they would have to make, and that is Who lives and who dies when it comes to ventilators? Uh, In the coming weeks, if COVID-19 continues to surge, these decisions will be inevitable, we're being told. The virus will attack so many people, and these are based on mathematical models and not what we know the virus will do, because quite frankly, we don't know. But some are suggesting uh, the coronavirus will attack so many people's lungs that thousands could show up at hospitals gasping for air in need to be hooked up to machines that breathe for them, but there won't be enough ventilators for everyone, forcing doctors to make impossible calls about which lives to provide these um, ventilators to. Also, we're learning that as uh, doctors are exposed to or potentially exposed to the virus, that many of them are rushing to have their wills completed. It gives you just a glimpse of the kind of pressure these men and women are under, not to mention the nurse Uh, nurses and other staff members who come in direct contact with patients, uh, thinking about the possibility that in attempting to serve others and to serve them well, uh, that they themselves might succumb to the virus. One doctor said um, that, uh, or rather asked the question, have you seen the HBO show Chernobyl, which by the way was very well done. Uh, She asked, "There there are invisible risks that trail you. And she was referring to those invisible risks that trace of the coronavirus under a fingernail or on the strand of hair. Don't give uh, uh, doctors nightmares by thinking about all the details uh, they must consider in protecting themselves and going home to their families. But doctors are writing their wills, considering that this could very well cost their lives in their effort to serve the general public. 
So as you are praying for your neighbors and friends, you're trying to support uh, people in your community, do not forget those on the front lines who are serving uh, to protect those who come down with the virus, suspect they may have it or being tested and so on. Well, the other side of that story is there are a number of places, I mentioned some yesterday and I will again today, that are trying to help provide these um, these protective uh, articles that are necessary for medical professionals. Joanne uh, Crafts or Joanne Fabrics uh, are giving away free kits to make face masks and gowns. Um, have no fear, the crafters are here. The fabrics and craft store are mobilizing customers to pitch in. Uh, with relief for distributing free kits to sew face masks and gowns for hospitals and healthcare facilities. Personal protective equipment, or PPE, as we're often hearing, is in alarmingly short supply for medical professionals across the country during this global outbreak. As of the 23rd of March, all 860 locations of the craft stores are offering curbside pickup and home delivery of free kits to make masks, gowns, and other essential items to be donated to American hospitals. So those of you who are looking for something constructive to do, you have the ability to sew. This is a great opportunity to do that. All open stores are carrying face mask kits in adult and youth sizes, according to a spokesperson. In addition, Joanne is offering its stores uh, classrooms, sewing machines, and professional instruction for people to produce the personal protective equipment with the free supplies there. Social distancing guidelines will be followed during the effort, the company says, but it's another opportunity to do something for those who are serving on the front lines. We're learning that coronavirus layoffs have skyrocketed, and of course that's no big surprise, catching nearly half of state unemployment programs uh, unprepared. State employment insurance systems across the U.S. are ill-equipped to handle the uh, growing deluge of claims from workers who are getting laid off at an unprecedented pace as the coronavirus pandemic ravages the U.S. economy. Early estimates suggest that at least a million workers could lose their jobs in March. That's a stunning and dramatic turnaround from February when employers added 273,000 jobs and unemployment dipped to 3.5 percent, a half century um, low. Now, this is interesting. In a moment, everything has changed with regard to the economy. One of the reasons there are those like myself who are always talking about the burden of the debt is because it doesn't foresee or prepare for events like this where things can change so dramatically. Well, states that administer unemployment benefits to workers who qualify rely on employer taxes that they use to finance their insurance programs. But despite the historically long 11-year economic expansion, 22 state employment trust funds are unprepared to pay out enough in unemployment benefits in the case of a recession, according to the Labor Department. So the lack of foresight, the lack of um, funding available, um, again, really exposes some of these areas of, um, of need. And by the way, uh, another statistic tells us that the weekly jobless claims hit a record 3.3 million as the virus uh, batters our economy. These are things that we can certainly be aware of, but also be praying about, that the men and women who are making decisions about how to move forward, um, that they would have wisdom, that they would put their self-interest aside and would do what's in the best interest of the country and perhaps recognize shortcomings from the past that have uh, led us to this position we find ourselves in now. Uh, In another piece by Bloomberg, they point out that in the heat of a global crisis, more sudden and severe than anything in living memory, economic orthodoxies are getting tossed aside at a furious pace. Some of them may be, well, gone for good. 
Public debt, for example, has often uh, been seen as a drag on economies, but right now it's their lifeline. The coronavirus has shut down swaths of private business, and the U.S. alone it threw about 3 million people out of work in just a week. Uh, whatever their prior views on budget deficits, leaders have been forced to fill in the gap by channeling cash to households, businesses, and markets, strengthening safety nets that are paid off, uh, rather paid for out of the public purse, and improvising some new ones. With government spending helping to steer countries uh, through the pandemic, it may not be easy to turn off the tap afterward. Politicians will have little incentive to belt tighten measures that could endanger or rebound. Uh, economists, especially from the rising modern monetary theory school, will argue that in a low inflation world, there's no need to try. Well, we'll see the outcome of all of this, but it gives you a picture of the challenge that leaders and decision makers face in trying to navigate these very uncharted, difficult waters, but will have waters that will have implications for decades to come. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we're going to talk with Tim Betcher. He, along with his wife, Bobby, work at Fort Benning, Georgia, in the military community through the Cadence Koinonia Hospitality House. That's an adult ministry from Cadence International. We'll talk more about that when he joins us in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Liberty Coin and Currency. Well, this is the new normal that we're all living under, and things are a bit different than we might otherwise have expected. But I'm delighted that technology makes it possible for us to engage in conversation with people who are at some distance. And my next guest fits that profile. My good friend, um, Pastor uh, a good friend and pastor, Greg Allen, uh, suggested that I have a conversation with Tim Betcher. And the more I looked into the work that he is involved in as a missionary to the military, I have become excited about the conversation we're about to engage in. Uh, Tim Betcher uh, serves at Fort Benning in Georgia at the military community or with them through the Cadence uh, Koinonia Hospitality House. Uh, he is engaged in adult ministry along with his wife, Bobby. And it's a part of Cadence International. And I am delighted to have you with us today to share uh, your missionary and your mission with our listeners here at KPDQ. Tim Betcher, welcome. Thank you, Georgine. What a delight to uh, to be on your show and to talk to you. And um, uh, wow, just, just so great. And actually, I, I have to say, I was out in Portland about, well, let's see, about two weeks ago, mm-hmm. just as this whole coronavirus thing was blowing up. And um, I actually left town a little bit early because I thought, well, I, I don't know how it just seemed to go so quickly. I wasn't certain I was going to get home. So um, if that was going to be possible. So I, I confess, I, I bailed on you guys. <laughs> but uh, we, we've got our own set of, of things going here. It's just kind of the new normal across the nation, is it not? Yeah. Well, in the interest of safety, I'm glad that you <laughs> that you bailed because that was the right, right. thing to do at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I came out to Portland to uh, connect with um, with Greg, uh, Greg Allen, who you mentioned there. Yeah, he's the pastor pastor of uh, Bethany Bible Church there in Portland, and then also another great friend of mine, uh, John and Terry Ely. Uh, and well, way back in the day, uh, John and um, and Greg, Pastor Greg now, and, and myself, uh, we, while we, were, while we were all students at Multnomah Bible College, uh, we were meeting together, and uh, those relationships 
my goodness, 30 years ago or more, uh, deeply influenced the direction to our lives and the ministry that um, we did. So we're just thankful for long-term friends uh, yeah. who continue to be a blessing. So yeah, yeah. we, um, in fact, you know, while you asked about our, our ministry and our, our mission, uh, Georgine, I, I did not serve in the military. I was, uh, a, I, I am and have been a civilian. Um, I did sit at a recruiter's desk right out of high school. Now, that was on the drawdown from Vietnam. And um, as he described the, the state of the military, thankfully, actually, uh, he was a, a Christian recruiter, um, this Navy chief. And he asked me what you know, my heart was, what I wanted to do in the Navy. And I said, well, uh, chief, I actually, I, I, I am a Christian, and I have felt God calling me into ministry. And he leaned back in his chair, and he crossed his arms and frowned at me, and he said, so you, you want to go in as a chaplain? I said, well, no, uh, no, chief, I, uh, I, uh, I haven't, you know, gone to, to college yet. I, you know, didn't, haven't gone to seminary yet. And uh, actually, I want to go in as a chaplain's assistant. And he, he pursed his lips and thought for a minute, and he said, well, Tim, it's my job to put sailors in the Navy, but I want you to know something. If God has called you into ministry, going in as a chaplain's assistant, you're going to be making coffee, and you're going to be setting up chairs and tables, and you'll be uh, making copies for the chaplain and arranging meetings and doing ad- administrative stuff. But if God's called you into ministry, and he asked me a number of questions, stories about what I was doing and what my gifts were, he said, if you want to go into ministry, he said, the military needs godly chaplains. Why don't you go to Bible college or seminary and then come back in? And I, I looked back on that and thought, wow, okay. Well, uh, years <laughs> later, I ended up in Bible college. And um, it was actually my heart at that, at that time not to go into the military um, or into military ministry. I was headed towards what I thought would be uh, the mission field at some place or um, uh, p- perhaps small church ministry. I, I was very interested in being a, uh, a small church pastor. Um, and in the midst of all that thinking of, well, what am I going to be when I grew up? Uh, one June rolled around early in our uh, stay there in Portland, and the Rose Festival came to town. I assume you guys still do the Rose Festival. Do you not? Well, we won't this year, but we do every you other won't year. This yes. year. No, you won't this year. No, you won't. And uh, my wife and I and a couple of other people walked down to the waterfront there, and we hollered up uh, the side of a destroyer that was docked along the side there. And I said, hey, any of you guys want to come to my house for a home-cooked meal? And about five guys eagerly popped over the side and said, are you kidding? Yeah. Next thing we knew, we had uh, 10 sailors in our living room hearing their stories and how uh, eager they were to build relationships and to, oh Georgine and to talk about things that were uh, so deep and important and, and so close to real life they they seem to just drop the facades that we normally tend to erect in front of people we don't know very well mm. and so that got Bobby and I thinking, my wife and I thinking about, well, hmm, you know, that's really an interesting kind of thing. Um, you know, we've got to keep that in the back of our mind. Long story short, it ended up we uh, served as short-term fill-in at Travis Air Force Base 
uh, at a ministry that Cadence International ran then called uh, Travis Hospitality House. Um, we stepped in there. I, I was among uniformed people. They spoke in what seemed to me to be some kind of military code. They used terms like, uh, oh, you know, I, I won't even bore you with all the, the terms they used. They, they just toss around um, military terms that are difficult for civilians to understand. And I really, I really felt, wow, what am I? I felt like I was out of my element, uh, that I didn't completely understand the subculture that I was immersing myself in. But what came very clear, very, uh, very quickly was that these people, these were people who were willing to let God do astonishing work in their lives in a very, very short period of time. Maybe it had to do with the stress that they were under. Perhaps it had to do with a number of things that had to do with the military culture. But my wife and I looked at each other and said, oh, we need to be doing this full time. <laughs> that divine appointment that you had. It was. It yeah, was. yeah. I love what David Schroeder, who's the president of Cadence International, um, says. He says, beneath the uniform is a person God loves with whom we are delighted to share the gospel and our lives. And one of the things I appreciate about Cadence, you're not just sharing the gospel, but you literally are sharing your lives with those who are in our military. That is right. In fact, um, uh, Dave is, rec- is uh, quoting, uh, is borrowing from 1 Thessalonians 2.8, which is the, the verse that our mission has, uh, has adopted um, as that underlines it. And, and the verse is that Paul says, to the Thessalonians that we cared for you so much that we were so that we're pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. And that is actually the privilege that we get. We open up our home. Uh, we uh, set up a house, just a regular looking house in a regular neighborhood, usually as close to um, a military installation as we can get. There have been a few times and a few unique circumstances where we've actually been able to be on the installation. For instance, when we had a a, a ministry there in Panama, we were actually kind of behind the fence there on the military installation. But that's an unusual type of thing. Usually we're off uh, the post or base someplace, and we open up our home, we raise our kids, and we have our dog and uh, we invite military people to do whatever it is that we do with our family. Um, mm-hmm. So, so uh, you know, I've been in the ministry now for, well, 37 years, um, pastoring both a church for a period of time and then 30 years as a missionary to the military. And because of that, I know how to stand behind the pulpit and give a message to a congregation on Ephesians, this instruction about husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I can give that message and have my three points and a joke and a poem and make it really polished. It's a whole nother type <laughs> of sermon, though, when they are watching my wife and I in yeah. our kitchen. Yeah, and interacting says, with one another. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And she says, hey, baby, did you forget to give me an ATM receipt today? And I want, and I slap my forehead and I go, oh, oh, you're right. Oh, baby, I'm sorry. She says, yeah, uh, since you didn't give that to me, uh, we're, we got a fee from the bank. 
and they're watching this all take place, you know? And, yeah, yeah. And, and I go, oh, okay, well, hey, and we <laughs> hug each other, and we work it out, and that's, that is instruction. That's doing life so together. That's what we get now, to do. Yeah, I need to take a quick break here, but we'll continue our conversation. Again, we're talking this afternoon with Tim Betcher. He, along with his wife, Bobby, they serve at Fort Benning in Georgia, a military community through the Cadence Koinonia Hospitality House. It's an adult ministry, although Cadence International also has ministry to couples and to uh, kids camps and just, you know, whatever the military has, they minister to uh, to those yeah. individuals. We'll continue our conversation in a moment. So stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Tim Betcher. He serves at Point uh, Fort Benning in Georgia at the military community at Cadence Koinonia Hospitality uh, House. It's an adult ministry and one of the expressions of Cadence International Outreach to military personnel and their families. These are... And I'm looking at the uh, Cadence website, young, searching, impressionable, moldable, and eager for relationship. Many of those serving in the armed forces are in some of the most strategic moments of their lives, moments of receptivity, of soul searching, of discovery, and of life transformation. This is such a ripe culture that you are ministering in and to. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, how your ministry takes place um, just outside of the, the military base in your hospitality house. What does that look like? What does it look like? Well, um, we attend, our, our quote, church is the military chapel on Fort Benning. Fort Benning uh, is a very large installation. It is um, a, a, a large craning base. And um, uh, so there's roughly around 100,000 uh, wow. in terms of daytime population that are on Fort Benning. That's a lot of people. Yes. So, you know, how do you... How do you make connections? Well, we attend the military chapel, and we involve ourselves in that chapel. We have some tremendous, godly, amazing chaplains in the Army, uh, and actually all across the, the service. We, just, we have met a number of them that are, what a tremendous ministry they have. And so we, we, we come to chapel just ready to serve. Whatever they need us to do, if, if they want us to hand out bulletins, we'll hand out bulletins. If they want us to teach Sunday school, we'll teach Sunday school, uh, set up whatever they want us to do, we'll do that. And uh, it's a great place to, to meet people. And of course, their heart at, in their pastoral ministry at chapel is to connect people, to uh, speak uh, life-giving truth into their lives, offer healing. So that's what we're about too. So it just, it creates this synergy. So what we'll do is we'll meet people there and we'll invite them to our house for a meal um, in a regular, um, well, you understand we're in this COVID-19 kind of netherworld right now. Yeah. <laughs> so things are differently. We're working different. Um, but normally here's kind of how we roll, uh, depending on where we have been at in terms of those, um, installations around the world. We'll go to chapel on Sunday. We'll have dinner afterwards, invite people out. Uh, there might be a, a game night that we would have that evening. Uh, we oftentimes will close the house on Monday, uh, early in the week, Monday or Tuesday, to do administration to mow the lawn and, you know, to kind of do all that sort of stuff that we have to do around the house. Um, we'll have a, a prayer meeting throughout the week. Uh, Wednesday night might be a, a couple's night uh, where we focus on that demographic uh, dinner and worship, 
Um, I'll get my guitar out, and we'll do some singing together, uh, prayer, and Bible study. Um, usually I'll reserve a couple nights of the week. Thursday nights is a good night for this. We'll have counseling. Lots of times I have young men and women that uh, need marriage counseling. Uh, divorce rates in the military are high. Mm. Um, and uh, so that certainly is often a need. Um, and, you know, just regular old mentoring. We'll have a big, our big meeting usually happens on Friday night. So they'll start to arrive uh, you know, after evening formation, they'll come out in their cities and um, we'll have uh, dinner we provide at 6.30. My wife cooks. And actually now we have a lot of um, young married couples where other ministries to the military, it's been primarily singles in our home. So with couples, it's kind of fun because we can, uh, you know, get them involved in ministry too. And so they'll bring, uh, you know, dishes or side dishes to whatever my wife Bobby is making. We'll uh, have dinner, we'll laugh, talk, maybe play a game, and uh, sing, pray, pray together, and I'll teach. Um, and then Saturday, uh, I've got a, right now I've got a men's group, some guys that are getting together to uh, wrestle this pornography dragon to the ground. Um, and um, we might do an activity during the afternoon, and then we're back to Sunday again in the chapel. That's well, it sounds usually me, the is- pace of our work week. Very much like first century church, you're doing life together. And along the way, you're sharing meals, you're doing ministry, you're teaching, you're holding one another accountable. And it's such an encouragement to know that this kind of ministry is taking place, uh, serving all branches of the U.S. military in America and also at overseas locations. This kind of ministry and outreach being made available to men and women who are in very stressful situations uh, where they are more open in many cases, as you've described, open to hearing the gospel. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, in the last, for the last 20 years, we've been sending our young men and women to this thing we call the war on terror. And uh, there has been a, a change that's, that I've watched us make culturally, and I think it's impacting ministry. And I, I would like to say this to you, Georgine, to encourage your listeners to think about veterans in, um, in this light, uh, to, to recognize that this whole idea of an all-volunteer military is a fairly new concept to us as Americans. Mm-hmm. Yes. From the very beginning, we've had soldier citizens. We've had citizen soldiers who we would call up as a militia, we would send them to war, and then when the war was done, we would return them back to civilian life. What's happened, and I'm not, this isn't a criticism, it's just a, it's just something that's taken place. What's happened is we, um, with this volunteer military, we have, in a sense, kind of outsourced our war to a professional military who, as I've interacted with them, it's, I've got this kind of uh, background feeling that, that uh, we as a, a civilian culture maybe see them as a little bit different of an animal. We applaud for them in the airports and we put stickers on the back of our cars that say, welcome home, and we support our troops, and we do. But they also, in some cases, may see themselves as a little bit other. And, mm. and therefore, it might at times be, they may be hesitant to talk about the, the wounds on their own souls that that uh, that battle and sin has has um, wrought upon them. So a, a big part of our ministry 
has become in the years uh, as we've been in conflict to uh, begin to try to speak directly to those soul wounds and to address um, some of the lies that our enemy might want to present to young men and women, to families that might just be designed to actually keep them trapped where they're at, stuck and isolated and alone and feeling alone and feeling depressed and not knowing who to turn to or where to turn to. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have a nephew who's serving in the Navy. He's the captain of a ship in Bahrain. And um, I'm grateful to know that there are men and women who are willing as missionaries to dedicate themselves to ministering to those who wear the uniform. I think most of us who are civilians have no idea the challenges they face, the demons they fight, those inner demons that sometimes come when you've been confronted with the kind of uh, war that so many of them have. And I'm just grateful to learn about Cadence International. I mentioned that you all um, minister here in the United States, but there are also some places in other uh, parts of the world as well where you're working with uh, military personnel from other countries, and that's inspiring as well. Yes, we are. Um, we are uh, working in, um, in Cambodia. We've got work in uh, Thailand. Uh, we've been working in uh, the Philippines. Uh, we recognize that military people in whatever culture are, are influencers. And I've mm-hmm. often wondered, you know, as I've read the book of Acts, uh, the very first Gentile convert that Acts records and the Paul records in, uh, or Luke records in Acts chapter 10, is a, um, a young military Roman officer right. named Cornelius. Yes. And I've often thought, well, why did God choose Cornelius to be the first Gentile, why a soldier to be the first Gentile convert? Well, the word says that he was actually away from home. He was, uh, he was part of what, what uh, Luke tells us was the, the Roman um, cohort, which actually means that he was stationed permanently in Rome, but he's not in Rome. He's in Caesarea. So he's away from home. And uh, the thing about military people is that they move around. That aspect does not change no matter what uh, country you serve, what government you serve, what military you're in, whether it's the Roman or the American military, you move around. And if you become a Christian, you take the gospel with you even to places where the gospel is closed. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so uh, we are just very eager to uh, bring the gospel to military people because they take it with them. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're just about out of time. For listeners who want to learn more about Cadence International, what's the best way for them to connect? Well, the best way would be to go to uh, cadence.org. Uh, not .com, cadence.org, that's spelled C-A-D-E-N-C-E, and you can find all about the mission, where there are ministries, where we have ministries around the world, and if you'd like to support a ministry, there's an opportunity to do that on that website as well. Well, Tim, we've run out of time, but I'd love to have you back because there's so much more we could talk about. I appreciate the work that you're doing, and I appreciate your taking the time to talk with us here today. God bless you and your work. Thanks for that. You bet. God 
God bless Thank you, you so much. Bye-bye. Again, Bye-bye. Tim Betcher, along with his wife, Bobby, serve at Fort Benning in Georgia, a military community through the 2017 Cadence Koinonia Hospitality House that was established just a few years ago. They are involved in adult ministry, and you can find out more at cadence.org. We're at the top of the hour. We've got news and traffic coming up, so stay with us. We'll be back to talk with Pastor Scott Gilchrist on our great opportunity to encourage believers and share the good news with people around us during this pandemic. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Well, I'm delighted because joining us now is Pastor Scott Gilchrist. He is the teacher of the downtown Bible class. He's senior pastor of Southwest Bible Church. And I wanted him to join us to talk a little bit about how he is navigating our new normal and maybe offer some encouragement to those of us who are struggling a little bit, maybe with fear, a bit of anxiety, the pressure of having the family together, which is a blessing, but can be a, a new normal for, for some of us. So, Pastor Scott, I am so delighted to have you with us. Welcome. Well, thanks, Georgine. It's great to join you. And uh, we're all getting used to doing things a little differently, but I'm real glad that you and I can still visit here on the radio. Oh, absolutely. Now, let me begin by asking you a question that I'm hearing people ask in different forms around the country. Is God aloof and unconcerned in this coronavirus pandemic? Has his sovereignty been rescinded? Is he aware uh, and but powerless to do anything about it? And is this a curse that he has visited upon the people of this country and around the world? How should we view God in light of our current circumstance? Well, those were you asked me a lot of questions there, but <laughs> so let me try to. I'll, I'll I'll tell you the first thing that comes to my mind. He is not aloof at all. He is personal. He's caring, and I've been experiencing that uh, with many many different people in these days, uh, in a new way. Really, I think when we're under pressure, these are hard days for some. They're hard days for all of us in many ways, and. And it's unprecedented, of course, as we think about the, uh, it's not just in our state, it's not just in our country, it's really all around the world. God has everyone's attention, but he's not aloof. Uh, He is almighty, and he transcends, and he's certainly in charge, he is sovereign, nothing is out of his control, but he cares. And that's one of the first things that I wanted to communicate to my own congregation, uh, he cares for us. In fact, uh, it says in the scripture, we can cast our anxiety upon him because he cares for us. And of course, I'm talking about the God of the Bible. He's the one who cared so much that he entered the human race and he lived in a world that is subject to pestilences and storms and warfare and famine. And our Lord Jesus is a sympathetic high priest who knows what we're going through. So he's not aloof, not at all. Uh, And he is not caught by surprise either. So uh, I wanted to get that said right away. Now, that was your first question. <laughs> Let me think. What do you say next? <laughs> the larger question really is where is God in the midst of this kind of trial? I know as I've thought about this, one of the benefits I think we can derive from all of this is the fact that we are shaken from our sense that we are invincible, that we have control over everything, that because we're in the 21st century and we have technology, uh, we pretty much are Lord and Master of, of all we survey. And, and I think many of us are shaken to think about our own mortality. 
and that we don't have as much control as we thought we did. And so people are asking, where is God? How should I view him in the midst of this challenging set of circumstances? Well, I think the first thing I would say to someone asking that question is you can call out to him in your time of trouble, and he will answer, and he will hear you, and he will he hears the cry of all who call to him. I was uh, in a group of people uh, yesterday morning. It wasn't a group, really. I mean, it was. It was a virtual group. We were uh, There were a bunch of us on a platform where we could pray together uh, interactively. And uh, we, the leader asked us to turn to Psalm 145. And we just basked in that great psalm. And I want to read uh, the, the closing of it. He says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. So we can cry out to God. And and as you mentioned, one of the great blessings of this, I would say the silver lining to an admittedly dark cloud, is that we have experienced uh, that we're not as we're not as uh, independent as we think. And mm-hmm. the Scripture is constantly asking us to trust in the Lord and not lean on our own understanding. So, to the extent that God has gotten our attention, that's a very blessed thing. And when we call out to him, I find in my own life that uh, I've been crying out to him more because this is a new normal, as you said. Uh, This is a new situation, unprecedented in in our lifetime. But it's an opportunity to recognize that apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. He didn't say, you know, apart from me, you can do quite a bit, but let me help you when you need it. (laughs) He said, Apart from me, you can do nothing. And we say we believe that. That's John fifteen five, by the way, which is a great portion of Scripture that I've been doing a lot of meditating in, the upper room discourse in these days. Lots of words of comfort. So if anyone's wondering where to turn in the Bible, John 13 through 16 is a great place. So are the Psalms, and really you can't go wrong from Genesis to Revelation, <laughs> but... But uh, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. you got to abide in me. And if you take a branch and separate him from the vine, why, it, it won't bear any fruit. It'll be dead and lifeless. So the Lord is teaching us in these days that we need him and that he will come to the aid of those who cry out to him. You know, this, um, this situation, the COVID-19, is new to us in our generation, but this has been the kind of thing that generations past have experienced over and over again. Creation is groaning for the return of Christ, and we are subject to, um, you know, the fallen creation that we, we live in. So we're subject to all kinds of things, and yet, as you pointed out, God is with us. Now, people assume you're a pastor, so you're going through this whole thing joyful and smiling all the time and saying <laughs> praise God between every phrase. Talk a little bit about the challenge that you face as a leader in having to be physically separated from uh, the people that you minister to and uh, the congregation that you oversee. What is that like for you? Well, I, I can tell you right now, I'm very thankful for technology that 
that actually we're using right now. You and I are mm-hmm. talking on a telephone, <laughs> and yep. then this is going out over the airwaves. But 150 years ago, there was no such thing as a telephone. And uh, certainly, you know, on and on it goes to where I we we gathered over 200 of us in a in a uh, prayer meeting Sunday night in an interactive prayer time that was just so valuable. But I would say that obviously the first thing I thought when I saw this uh, virus begin to to impact and I saw the government making some statements that we were going to have to isolate from each other, I thought even before they said, uh, when they, they hadn't even said to limit your group to 250 yet, I thought, wow, we're under orders to uh, not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Uh, and yet we're also under orders to obey the civil authorities. Mm. And so then as the as the edicts, you might say, just started coming down, it was clear to me and clear to our Board of Elders that we needed to do what... Uh, our civil authorities were telling us to do to try to everybody's talking about you know stop the the steep rise of the curve and all all stop the spread and but at the same time i have missed just like you have that face to face contact with my brothers and sisters in christ uh but i have been very thankful for the opportunity to reach out in in many ways like this even as we are right now and uh encouraging one another so we we thankfully as a congregation we had decided to live stream our service oh I think about two years ago, so that people that are sick and couldn't be with us uh, and we've been seeing the use of that uh, just a few weeks ago long before this virus thing had hit in real in real strength. Um, I got a call from from London uh, when I got home from church on Sunday morning. They they worshipped with us in in oh. London, you know. So the technology <laughs> it's exciting, and the the live stream we had it in place. We were thankful for that, but uh, you know the first the first uh, Sunday that we live streamed only, and weren't able to gather, we still could have at that time they still would allow us to have uh, 250 in a room. So we had we didn't want to have that many. We wanted to follow the spirit of the of the thing. So we spread out, but had maybe a hundred in the auditorium, and it was a joy to gather. And I uh, we had our worship band, and we we sang to the Lord, and I just felt led to speak from Psalm 91. And uh, you know, I had seen many many times in my own life and in others' lives. Psalm 91 has ministered to so many. I'll just read the first few verses. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. And you know, Georgine, we just uh, just basked in that psalm that morning, and we we had a great time. Mm -hmm. And the next Sunday we did the same. We were in a different passage, but... I, I just uh, I'm trying to encourage anyone I talk to to just open your Bible daily yes. and 
and listen to the word of the Lord and remember that he'll cover you with his wings. I mean, the imagery the Bible uses becomes so much more real when we're in times of pressure like this and fear. I looked up the phrase. In fact, the week before that, I had written a little brochure, uh, Do Not Be Afraid, just quoting Jesus. And I traced that phrase through the Old and New Testament, and I was amazed at how many times God says, Do not be afraid. And uh, always, that's not just cheering ourselves up, you know, just like, hey, hang in there, have a positive attitude. But he's saying, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Yes. And he always, he always backs up the, the exhortation with the character and who he really is, his character and who he really is. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Mm. We're going to continue our conversation, but I do need to take a quick break. Again, we're talking with Pastor Scott Gilchrist with Downtown Bible Class and a senior pastor at Southwest Bible Church. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. So grateful for your encouragement from God's Word. Let me ask you, what should we do as followers of Christ during this time when we are told by the uh, civil authorities to, to remain uh, socially distanced from one another, where we're forbidden from meeting in groups of virtually any size? What should our primary preoccupation be in terms of this opportunity that God has given us uh, where some of us have more time, um, more discretionary time than we're used to. What do you advise as a pastor? Yeah, well, you know, I've I've been uh, doing a lot of thinking about that and and hearing some great stories. I think all around us, people uh, are are thinking about what really counts in life, and uh, you know, so many of the distractions are gone. Uh, we really can't let our mood rise and fall on whether the Blazers win or whether the the Major League Baseball season. I'm a baseball fan, and today's opening day, mm-hmm. but I won't be wasting a bunch of time watching baseball, you know. And, of course, we've got fears and anxieties. Will my job be there when I get back? Uh, what about my business? And some people are spending all their time tracking the stock market and just getting depressed as they look at their 401k and But I tell people, you know, lift your eyes upward. And the Lord hasn't changed. In a day where everything else is changing, He does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe this is an opportunity for those of us who know Him to get to know Him in a deeper, more profound way. And then realize that people all around us are more open to uh, their need for him. Mm-hmm. And so I've had a lot of interaction. I've kept my six-foot distance, and you know, but uh, I'm out, I'm doing a little more walking than I used to, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm finding that there are people out walking, and I've had great conversations with people. Uh, I can invite people to church, and they don't have to, uh, they don't even have to <laughs> leave their living room, and they can come anonymously if they want. And uh, I had a neighbor who usually... 
uh, you know, just isn't wanting to hear too much about our church, uh, the first thing they asked is, what are you guys doing? Are, are you worshiping? And uh, I said, yeah, you know, we are, and, and you're welcome to join us at 10 o'clock, you know. And So I think there's lots of opportunities right now to be salt and light in a world that is... Uh, if Without the Lord, people are anxious. Mm-hmm. Without the Lord, people are fearful, and they're depressed, and... Uh, but we who know the Lord, we don't have to be. And so I say, first of all, spend time with him. Refocus your attention on him. I happen to have been meditating in uh, Isaiah 40 the, a few weeks prior. For, for several weeks, I was meditating in this passage in Isaiah 40 before, the, before I knew anything about coronavirus, you know. And uh, to whom then will you liken me? that I should be his equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. That speaks of the grandeur and the power of our almighty God, But he's not aloof. He's not distant. He goes right on. I'm reading from Isaiah 40. I quoted verse 25 and 26. Verse 27 says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? There might be someone right now listening to us, Georgine, that would be tempted to think, the Lord doesn't know my situation. Don't say my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. I'm sure that there are those right now who are thinking, man, I'm weary, I'm tired. I don't know if I can keep going. The Lord God, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, he knows your situation, and he gives strength to the weary. And uh, youths grow weary and tired. Vigorous young men stumble badly, the scripture says. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. These uh, these immutable truths about God become all the more real in times like this. And the stories I I was mentioning earlier about the uh, the when when we first gathered the first week mm-hmm. we gathered virtually. And uh, our worship band uh, played the song, There's Another in the Fire, Standing Next to Me. And I just thought, wow, what a great song. The lyrics of our worship songs just take on new meaning when we're going through something. Uh, There's another in the fire, standing next to me. And uh, I I mulled those words over, and, and then we read Psalm 91, and we just had a wonderful time. And... And so I don't mean to be Pollyanna or in any way just uh, 
put a good face on this, you know. And in fact, I told my congregation Sunday, uh, it's not. Jesus didn't say, uh, let not your heart be troubled. We're Americans. We can do this. Hmm. He didn't speak that way. Now, I'm, all, I'm an American, and I, and I appreciate our leaders saying, hey, we've been through things before. And I, I am, uh, you know, I appreciate that kind of optimism and that kind of camaraderie. But Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in Israel? No. Believe, we're Jews, we've been through this stuff. No. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So I, uh, I just say, like Isaiah said, lift your eyes upward and look on the high one, the highest one, the one who created the stars. He's not caught by surprise. And he knows all about this virus, and uh, he's using it to get our attention. There's no question about that. I think the whole world is. Uh, I remember Mark Cuban, the the I think the Mavericks owner. Uh, you know, he was at the game when the NBA shut down, and they quoted him saying he was just kind of in shock, and he says, "Like I'm seeing a movie instead of reality." <laughs> and my neighbor hollered across the fence today. And uh, said the same thing. It's like we're living in a movie. And I, and I said, yeah. Did you hear? And I quoted Mark Cuban. You know. And so people everywhere are are obviously thinking. And I think we, as as uh, children of of the Lord, we have great opportunity to be an encouragement to them, and to encourage them to seek the Lord. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, you, when we first talked about doing this uh, interview, you reminded me of Hebrews 10 verses 23 through 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. In In this season, we meet in a different way as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, again, mm-hmm. you see this as an opportunity that God has given us to go deeper in him, to encourage one another and to minister to our community, to extend the love of Christ outward to people who are perhaps more open to hearing the gospel and hearing the hope that uh, that we find in Jesus than they are any other time of, uh, of the year. That's so true. And to think of those that might be in need, all of us know people that may be vulnerable and though we can't just be reckless, we can certainly offer to deliver groceries to them and uh, check on them and just make sure. And sometimes just give them a cheerful call just to know mm-hmm. that there's, they're not alone and, and maybe to pry them away from the relentless news cycle. I think all of us need to, to realize the statistics are going to change, they're going to get worse, you know. But to just lock in on that constantly isn't really what we should be doing, it doesn't seem to me. I'm grateful that we can tune the news in and find out what's happening, but there's people that just need some human contact all around us, and uh, yeah. and we have to be yeah. careful. We need to, we need to follow the rules so that uh, we really can get this thing stopped, but uh, that doesn't mean that there aren't ways, creative ways, to reach out and, and serve others. I want to let our listeners know that they can hear um, Southwest Bible Church. You're going to be teaching on our AM station, our sister station, um, 800 uh, True Talk, uh, at 10 a.m. So if you don't have a a church that you're already connecting with online or in some other way, at 10 a.m. on uh, AM 800, you can hear Pastor Scott 
also on our um, our app, you can hear it, and online as well. So we're so grateful for the opportunity for folks who don't have a place to connect. They can hear uh, Pastor Scott on Sunday mornings at 10. Well, Pastor Scott, I am so grateful for your encouraging word and drawing us once again to God's word as we um, endeavor to live through this in a way that's honoring to him. Well, thanks, Georgina. I so appreciate what you're doing, and it's great that we can encourage one another uh, in these days that uh, God is not caught by surprise. He does not change, and he will never leave you or forsake you. And so uh, he's an anchor for our soul, isn't he? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Scott. You're sure welcome. Great to talk with you, Georgine. Have a great day. You as well. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. When we return, we'll talk about what's going on. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a Thursday afternoon. While the state of Oregon is delaying the deadline to file the state income tax to match the uh, federal uh, extension to July the 15th, now, the, the, the delay will shortchange state coffers of hundreds of millions of dollars in the near term and exacerbate a cash pinch at the state due to the fallout in the economic activity due to the coronavirus and a surge in people needing safety net services. But it is the thing to do. Well, in a call with media on Wednesday, the governor said the state is in a quarantine bind with substantially declining revenues and unprecedented public health response, enormous pressure on the public safety net, and a requirement, unlike the federal government, to have a balanced budget. Well, the state treasury department could issue short-term bonds to avert any cash flow crunch. Uh, an economist at the state office of economic development said the filing delay was unlikely to have any serious um, consequences, as the collections will still come within the current two-year budget cycle. I'm just now, by the way, James, hitting my uh, my time. Um, the governor said that Wednesday that the governor uh, rather said on Wednesday that business uh, businesses who file estimated taxes are still required to do so by the 15th of April. But for everyone else, the state has delayed the tax filing deadline until July 15th, matching the new federal deadline. Also, the de- the uh, deadline to pay Portland's annual arts tax has been pushed back to July 15th due to the coronavirus outbreak according to city officials announcing yesterday. The news comes after the Treasury Department and the Internal Revenue Service announced last week that the federal income tax filing deadline would be extended from the 15th of April to the 15th of July. Governor Brown announced on Wednesday that Oregon would delay the state income tax due date three months as well, as I just mentioned. And the governor said businesses who file estimated tax they still have to do that by the 15th. Portland Revenue Division officials said that they are still waiting for formal guidance from the state before making a decision on city business and other taxes. The arts tax was passed by voters in 2012 and assessed a $35 charge per adult living in Portland annually for schools and nonprofits, uh, art and music programs. Well, the arts tax deadline extension is one of several financial relief measures announced amid the coronavirus outbreak. Portland Chief Administrative Officer Tim uh, Reinhardt said on Tuesday during a news conference that the city was temporarily stopped pursuing collections on past due taxes. So just a, a moment or two of relief if you find yourself in that situation. Also, Oregon Governor Kate Brown issued a stay-at-home order on Monday this past, saying that she and her staff had spent the weekend crafting the wording in hopes of making it definitive and less confusing than some other states. 
with their coronavirus restrictions. Well, that didn't quite work. It's all rather confusing. Well, people have called and emailed and texted dozens of questions about it, and they wonder whether the order applies to them or their employer or who to complain to when they think they're being violated. Well, here's some answers um, about this whole thing. Now, if you have a company that isn't on the must-close list, can you stay open? Uh, This one came uh, in many forms, this question from a locksmith, a self-storage operator, an auto mechanic, house painter, plant nursery manager, The bottom line from the governor, she has ordered certain business categories closed because her administration felt those businesses couldn't operate safely with proper physical distancing. A space of six feet between employees and customers, uh, the full list of businesses you can find um, at the governor's office. Now, if your business or your employer is not on that list, it's okay to remain open as long as employees and customers can keep that safe distance and proper measure. Uh, Measures are in place to Clean surfaces, keep hand washing areas stocked and garbage empty. Now, where do you complain if your employer is violating that order and you think that uh, your business is on that list? The workers can submit complaints online about their employer to Oregon's Occupational Safety and Health Division, which can enforce restrictions designed to keep workers safe. And who do you call if you're a customer and see a business breaking that order if you want to uh, you know, keep an eye on your neighbor. The governor said that she'll not establish patrols to enforce the stay-at-home order. So if you're in your car driving somewhere, you're not likely going to be followed. Law enforcement agencies have said they are more likely to warn violators than cite them. On Monday, Portland Police Chief Jamie Resch, she asked people not to call 911 if they suspect a violation. She said Portlanders should call the city non-emergency hotline in that case. So what happens if someone violates the order? Well, violators are technically subject to a Class C misdemeanor citation, which carries a penalty of up to 30 days in jail or $1,250 or both. Um, When will this order be over? Well, that's the big question looming large in every state and municipality and the federal government. The order didn't have an expiration date. So if you think like the first order, it will expire in a week or two. The governor told the Oregonian editorial board on Monday that it would be in place for an indefinite period of time. So we'll just have to wait and see. Her hope is that if people significantly stop interacting, the spread of the virus can be slow, the curve flattened, if you will. At that point, the only timeline that's been spelled out is that Oregon schools must remain closed through the 28th of April. So that will remain in place, whatever happens. Can you take a dog for a walk, for example, around the neighborhood? Well, the the answer is yes. The order allows Oregonians to go outside for exercise. Just be sure to keep that six-foot distance between you and anyone you pass on the sidewalk or the trail. And more information is um, noted in the order's outdoor recreation and travel section, so you can check that out online. Um, does the order preclude us from spending time at our um, at friends' homes? Well, the governor has said many times that she wants Oregonians to limit their contact with people outside of their households as much as possible. The thought is that if you're coming and going to multiple households, you risk introducing the uh, different germs. So you are advised not to do so. Perhaps an argument to uh, move in um, uh, in proximity to people that you care about. Well, now is not the time, according to the governor. Well, Idaho has joined Oregon and Washington with a stay-at-home order on Wednesday. Idaho Governor Brad Little on Wednesday issued a statewide stay-at-home order as the coronavirus continues to spread. Little announced the order will remain in effect for 21 days. Idaho has more than 91 confirmed cases of COVID-19 spread throughout the state. 
Washington State at, at uh, home order there requires Idaho's 1.75 million residents to self-isolate at home unless they are health care workers, public safety employees or other essential workers such as grocery store employees. Governor Little said some communities now had community spread. Those areas uh, being in central Idaho's Blaine County and highly populated southwestern Idaho, which includes Boise. Community spread means it's not clear where or from whom a person became infected. When you have community spread, you have to go to the next level, and that's what we're doing. Again, Idaho has now joined Oregon and Washington with a stay-at-home order. We're also learning some, I consider, somewhat troubling uh, information. If you have a negative test... Um, you just got the test uh, results back for the no- uh, novel coronavirus, and it's negative. They're telling us now that that test result doesn't always mean you are not infected. I'm not sure what that means. You may still have to caution, uh, act with caution, and act like you could have it. Self-isolate. Don't go visit your parents. Uh, the question is, what's going on? Well, the clamor for Uh, long-delayed coronavirus testing is teaching a basic lesson about how all medical tests work. No test is 100% accurate. Some test results may incorrectly say that a person has a condition, but they don't. And the reverse is also true. You may have a test that incorrectly says that you don't have the condition, but you do. That's a false negative, and for COVID-19, the illness caused by the coronavirus, at the stage of the outbreak, experts are more worried about this type of inaccuracy than anything else. When a new test is created and deployed, its accuracy is often not fully known, and that's the case here. The test is developed under controlled lab conditions, but it's used on samples taken, transported, and performed by people in the real world, all of which increase the likelihood of errors. The novel coronavirus tests used to swab it to make a sample from the back of a person's nose or throat. The swab is then transported to a lab that isolates and detects genetic materials from the coronavirus And any uh, medical test has two important qualities, sensitivity and specificity. And if any uh, problems uh, arise in any of those, uh, either of those two areas, you could have a false positive or a false negative. So even if you have a a negative test, you are encouraged to uh, self-isolate, self-quarantine, if you will, because it's not altogether clear that every test that's given is accurate. That may be the case at some point in the future, but for now, they're telling us uh, negative test. Uh, should give you a sigh of relief, but it's not a guarantee that you are not infected with the coronavirus. Another reason I suppose we should all be praying. Lord, give us wisdom and stamina to do the right thing for the length of time necessary to protect ourselves and to protect others. We're going to take a break here in just a moment. When we come back, we'll wrap things up. I want to tell you about a couple of opportunities available to help get you through this whole coronavirus uh, epidemic or pandemic as we now know it to be. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show, and uh, we are endeavoring to provide the best program that we can under our current circumstances. There are challenges. Um, for example, not being in the same proximity to James or Clark, but we're working it out. So I appreciate these guys. They are the technical geniuses that we need to pull this off and I'm just uh, you know plugging a couple of things in and doing what I can <laughs> so I I appreciate uh, their efforts in making this possible. I wanted to mention a couple of things uh, about um tomorrow's program 
for one thing, it's Friday and we're going to provide headline news, but we'll also take a look at the lighter side of the news. And oh, am I looking forward to that? But we're also going to have a conversation with Pastor Greg Allen from Bethany Bible Church. From time to time over the next several weeks, we're going to invite folks, pastors and others who are followers of Christ to just join us to talk about to how this whole situation is impacting them, how they're staying tethered to their faith and uh, what they're doing to stay connected to the people they care about, particularly uh, in their church family. So he'll be joining us tomorrow as part of the program tomorrow as well. I wanted to mention a couple of opportunities that are available. There is a COVID-19 church online summit uh, that is tomorrow and Saturday. Faithfully respond, don't fearfully react. It's a two-day digital summit on the 20th. Well, actually, it's today and tomorrow. Oh, rats. Uh, the 26th and the 27th uh, for churches and church leaders responding to the COVID-19 um, uh, pandemic. It's presented by the Heartland Institute at Wheaton College, and you can register at Christianity Today for more details. You've already missed the first day, and I apologize for that, but I only discovered it uh, today. But you can go uh, and register for the summit and be a part of it again Friday and Saturday, the 26th and the 27th. Accessible at your own convenience, they say. So it's uh, possible that you can uh, participate um, out of real time. So I wanted to mention that to you. Uh, and you can find the article on that at Christianity Today, the online version. Also, Wycliffe USA is offering free activities for self-quarantined families. Uh, Bible Translators uh, USA is uh, reaching out to share entertainment and educational resources that may be of interest to you since the COVID-19 pandemic is keeping families at home indefinitely. Parents might appreciate learning about the dozens of activities available for download. You'll find that at Wycliffe USA on their website. The resources include options like cooking recipes, scavenger hunts, crafts, problem-solving puzzles, prayer and seasonal activities, topical lessons, and much more, as well as a breakdown of how long parents can expect each activity to occupy their children Everything from 15 minutes to a month. So if you're if you're going to be hunkered down for a while, this might be a great uh, resource for you. Again, this is at uh, Wycliffe USA, and uh, these resources available for families, recognizing that many of us are spending time together in close proximity in a more unusual way. You now, it really is a gift. It may be challenging. It may be difficult. But modern life makes it less likely that we spend long stretches of time together. We may be getting on each other's nerves. We may need feel the need for some kind of relief, but it's also a tremendous gift uh, that we have been given to spend time together, to engage in real conversation, um, to find out what's on the hearts of your family members or people that you care about, maybe friends that you uh, do activities with, but you don't really have many heart-to-heart conversations with. It's so, so again, while this is a strain. It's a challenge. And for parents, bless your hearts. Uh, when you have lots of kids who are used to being away at school and, and occupied in creative and educational ways, uh, again, it is a, a gift and an opportunity. And I hope you will seize it because this will not last forever. We know that it will come to an end, maybe not soon enough, but it's a rare opportunity. And when you think about it, those kids are going to be out of your household before you know it. And you might look back on this time as uh, yeah, being a challenge, you may be financially stressed. It may be that being in such close proximity, it's uh, it's put a strain on the family. But it may also be one of the times when you got to know your sons and daughters better than ever before. You Your conversations went deeper. You opened the Bible and together you just 
reflected on the provision that God has made and the promises that he's made to his people, um, looking ahead to the future from an eternal perspective. So it's a great opportunity, and I hope you will uh, you will seize it. I know I'm trying to take full advantage of the, to the extended time since I don't have the commute to and from work, and we have to pre-record the show. It comes a bit earlier in the day, and I'm finished earlier in the day. What do I do with that extra time? I'm opening God's Word. I'm spending more time with my mother. I'm cooking meals that tend to take a little longer, and that's been fun because I love to cook. But just seizing the opportunity, talking with family members on the phone and just enjoying the freedom that uh, this negative circumstance has provided. So uh, reflect on what Pastor Scott Gilchrist had to say about this great opportunity that we've been given as believers to encourage one another and to share the good news with people around us who may not know uh, that good news. So let's, let's look at it that way. So again, tomorrow is a Fun Friday. And while uh, circumstances may suggest that it's all sobriety and gloom, we're going to take a look at the lighter side of the news. And I promise you there's plenty of it out there uh, to talk about. Uh, we'll also talk with uh, Pastor Greg Allen. He is the pastor at Bethany Bible Church. We're going to talk not so much about um, uh, you know, his pastoral responsibilities, but as a man of faith, how is he navigating uh, our current circumstance? Uh, he has a member of his household that is in that category of most vulnerable, and that presents a challenge for a pastor. Uh, not connecting with parishioners and having to do ministry online. Uh, again, this this is all uh, new territory for many, and we'll talk with him about all of that. So that's coming up tomorrow in the program as well. Well, I want to thank James Blind and Clark Hilton, both of whom are doing their jobs from home from a remote location. I don't have the benefit of seeing their faces every day. We're not palling around uh, coming to and from uh, the studios down the hall, and I, I certainly miss that. But I'm grateful that we have the technology to make it possible for us to continue to work together and to uh, continue to provide broadcasting to you. So thanks so much for listening and making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great, have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.